What I'm going to do right now is walk us through the very first question of the Westminster Larger Catechism. And uh, I'm going to do this in two parts. The first one is defining uh, what the catechism is and why it's important. And uh, just as this might be a reminder and this might be uh, new information. Uh, as I get to know you guys better, this will be more custom-tailored to you. But uh, what a catechism is. And then going over the first question... Uh, which is, uh, what is the chief end of man? And uh, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys have this uh, published somewhere in uh, their copies, but you can get fairly inexpensively a uh, little to-go uh, Westminster uh, confessions. They're bound in a fake leather, but it'll fit in your back pocket. I'm sure there's an app you can get, but uh, it's a good, a good tool to have as a, we call it a, a magnifying glass for your Bibles. It's so that's for what that's worth. Uh, I recommend looking for one of those. So, uh, what is a catechism? Uh, a catechism is not something that is necessarily required for Christians to do, but what is required to do is catechesis, and that's just a word for religious instruction. And so, what the catechism does is it fulfills a need that we would naturally have as obedient followers of Christ, which is to instruct, uh, instruct what God is. Teaching to us and instructing, uh, instructing others. Um, that's how God wants to be worshipped. We're, we're, our, our culture, not you guys necessarily, but our culture is very fond of individual uh, religious experiences, and, um, and and having your quiet, private time is a good thing. But it's almost turned into uh, it's almost elevated itself to a sacrament above above communion and, and baptism. Uh, which is to make sure you have your quiet time. You should have your quiet time, don't get me wrong, but that's uh, the way that God has normally intended uh, you to, to learn is through other people. And that's why, uh, that's why God has structured his church the way he did. So we see uh, the first way that catechesis happens or a, uh, religious instruction happens, we can see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 13. Uh, and it says he gave... Uh, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers. Uh, those are considered to be one thing, shepherd teachers, pastor teachers. And he, he gave these, these different offices. And of course, we don't have apostles now. That office is, uh, is closed. Uh, we don't have prophets, uh, at least in a, we have people who can speak how we might casually say prophetically, but we don't actually have anyone occupying the office of prophet except Jesus Christ. Uh, and many of you might have uh, come to faith or have been uh, strengthened by the work of evangelists, uh, but the most normal way for us to get catechesis or instruction is through shepherd teachers, or what we might call pastors or teaching elders um, uh, on Lord's Day worship. Uh, and so there's three things that they're supposed to do to equip the saints. That's us. Um, for the work of ministry, their, their job is for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ uh, until we attain the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of his stature and the fullness of Christ. And so the first way catechesis happens is just by normal uh, Lord's Day worship and, and sermons and, 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 and being, taught by, uh, being taught by your pastor uh, who is a, who's a gift that God has uh, has given us is that office of that role of pastor. Well, the next type is from parents 
especially fathers, but both parents, to their children. And we can see this, this has from, been from the beginning, uh, where we see the, a hint of this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is sometimes called the Shema, Hero Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one, we will worship him uh, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and so there's one section here where it says, have these words in your heart, teach them to your children, and I'm summarizing here, but teach them to your children and teach them regularly as you're walking, as you're going to work, as you're taking them to school. I'm summarizing what this says. But uh, parents, especially fathers, but both parents, to their children. Uh, I'm sure many of you parents uh, meditate on this, train your children up in the ways they should go and they will not depart from it. Uh, And Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul specifically addresses fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we have uh, pastors, parents. Oh, I should have come up with a good action, but I didn't. I'm sorry. I'll come up with one next time. Uh, or some alliteration. Uh, but the next one is from believers to non-believers. Uh, that's a, another type of catechesis that happens. So if you think about the Philip on the road to um, Gaza, I believe, and he runs across an Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian is reading... Isaiah 53, he doesn't know it's 53, but he's reading out of, he's reading out of the Isaiah scroll, and uh, Philip walks by him and says, do you understand what you're reading? He's reading about Jesus, if you're not, there's a proph- prophecy about Jesus, if you're not familiar with that chapter. Well, the Ethiopian eunuch in, invites Philip up to explain it to him, and that's a different type of catechesis. And the last type of catechesis is uh, from wiser Christians to younger uh, Christians. Uh, so we see this, uh, Paul did it to Timothy uh, as a senior pastor, talk, as an older, experienced pastor, talking to a younger um, pastor. Uh, or even Christian, you could see this in Titus chapter 2, uh, older men discipling younger men and older women discipling younger women and the things that are specific to being a Christian but also specific to uh, being a man, being a woman, that sort of thing. So that's what catechesis is and... and um, and, and it's something that we're not required to have it. Um, we're not required to, by Christ, use the Westminster Confession of Faith. But, but we're required to do what the Westminster Confession of Faith is giving us a tool to do. And so let's look at the first question. That, well, actually, this is a, is this a little bit, I'm sorry for the breaking the pattern here. Is this normally a, a little bit more back and forth? It can be. It can be? Okay, great. Right. Um, so with, the, with that part, before I get into the question, uh, is there any questions about, um, about the, what a catechism is exactly, catechesis? So, uh, and then also if we have time, if you guys have questions on the back of your mind about the sermon. I guess this could be a good place to put that in there too. So uh, let's 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 look at the first question of the Westminster Larger Catechism, and uh, we have two different types of catechisms. Generally speaking, one are question and answers, and other are uh, there's a there's a Latin word for it that escapes me, but it's just simple instruction. So the Westminster Confession of Faith is just simple instruction. It's just doctrine, which means teaching, uh, and then the con- the catechism, the larger catechism, that is, uh, that's a, a Q&A sort of thing. Uh, and so the question that we're, we're supposed to ask ourselves, and, and the question that's supposed to provoke uh, an answer uh, from the Word of God is, what is your chief end? What is the chief end of man? That's the question. And the answer to that is that, 
I didn't write it down. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I mean, I know it, but I should have written it down. Um, so what is, uh, your chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, so what is chief end? What is it talking about? It's talking about really two things. That, that, that English phrase, it's not from a Greek or Hebrew phrase, it's just a simple English phrase. Your chief end is your purpose now, your, your, your meaning in life, and your, your final end. So what's your purpose now and your, your final end? What's the, what's, what's the meaning of life, so to speak? Question? The top goal, that's a good way to put it. What's your, what's your objective? Um, if you're on a sports team, what's the, what's the goal of a soccer team on a game? To win, exactly. Uh, what's the chief end of your Christian faith? And it's not to win uh, a battle. That battle's already been won. It is to glorify God and enjoy it forever. So we, this should spark more questions for us. And the way that the Confession of Faith and the, the Larger and Shorter Catechism is designed is that it has the statement. That's, and that's, that's, a, that's the magnifying glass, but what it's, shining, what it's exposing is the proof texts underneath it. So when, don't, don't ever read, the, read these, the Catechism and the Confession of Faith and ignore those proof texts. That's the good stuff. That's your, the question and answer. That's your lens to see those. Uh, and so, uh, one of the proof texts here is Romans chapter 11, verse 36. This is answering the question, why is God worthy uh, of glory? Uh, in other words, uh, why is he worthy of worship and adoration? Why is, he, why is he worth giving your life to, worth uh, obeying to, worth submitting to, and maybe even dying for? Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says that for, uh, from him and through him... And to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And uh, so there's three things that I want to cast in the light of Romans 11, 36. Uh, First is that uh, all things are from him. The next is all things are through him. And all things are to him. Uh, You might also say all things are for him. All things will be presented. The the new heavens and the new earth and the church and, and the Countless myriads of people who, who will be saved by the mercy of Christ will be presented to, uh, to God on the last day. Uh, that's what it means for him. But uh, all things are from him. Uh, first, that, that means that he's the creator of all things. Uh, and for Christians, there's two, there's two events that we can look to uh, when we think about God as a creator. First of all, he created the heavens and the earth. And that should be enough for most people. Uh, that he's, he's, he's your designer, he's your creator, and therefore he's worthy of praise. But for us Christians, there's, that creation happens twice. There's the creation and then the, the recreation. He's worthy of glory because he created us, and we rebelled, and he recreated us, and he gave us a new heart. And that's uh, when it's talking about all things, all, all literally all things, uh, were created uh, from him. Well, the next thing is created through him. Uh, we can think of this as that nothing that has been made or nothing that has happened to us didn't happen to us or wasn't given to us, whether it be good or bad, without prior consent by our Heavenly Father. And you can think about uh, uh, Romans 8.28, uh, all things work together for the good of those who, who call on 
upon his name and trust in Jesus. You can think about the whole book of Job if you're familiar with Job. That nothing good or nothing bad can happen to you unless God uh, has approved it first. So all things are, are through him in that sense. Uh, and then lastly, uh, all things are for him. Now, I'll use an analogy of a, uh, of a wedding. Uh, now imagine that you go to a wedding and it happens to be your birthday. And can we all agree, at least for the sake of argument, that weddings are more important than birthdays? Can we, can we agree with that? Yeah. Uh, let's say you go to a wedding, and it's your birthday. And you're looking around, and you're just so annoyed that nobody's saying happy birthday to you. Nobody brought you. They brought presents for those people, you know, that couple over there, but they didn't bring you any presents. And they didn't say happy birthday, and nobody sang for you. That'd be pretty silly, huh? When we think about giving glory to God as opposed to giving glory to ourselves, we can think about that as kind of like going to a wedding on your birthday. That maybe you've done something that deserves a pat on the back and a good job. And we should encourage each other, don't get me wrong. But you're there, but there's something much bigger happening, and that's that's uh, and, and, that, and that's God. He's, he's much more worthy of, uh, of glory. All things were made for him. This, this world that we live in, the beautiful weather that we're having outside, this beautiful building that you guys are, are in temporarily, um, all you beautiful people and your beautiful families, this, is all, this isn't primarily for your enjoyment, although that's a happy consequence. It's primarily for your creator. It's primarily for God. That's why God is worthy of glory. And so that's the first part we enjoy. We how can we? Or what is the chief end of man? The chief end of, end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So before we get to enjoy Him forever, let's think about how we glorify God. And uh, we can use the uh, the high priestly prayer. I think some of you guys are going through that. Uh, that's in the upper room in, in in John chapter thirteen through seventeen. That narrative. Uh, so in John chapter seventeen, I'm going to read this. 17 verses 20 to 23. This is Jesus praying for his apostles, but also every other Christian who ever happens after the apostles. So Jesus is saying here, I do not ask for these only, meaning the apostles, but also for those who believe, who will believe in me uh, through their word, which is what we, the, their word meaning, meaning the Bible, that they may be one, just as you are, uh, just as you are, the Father, just as you, the Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the word may, uh, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be where I am, to see my glory. And you have given me, <clears throat> that you have given me, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made them known. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me will be in them, and I am. So here, we, there's embedded in that is a list of things that God is is praying. I don't. I made the font too small, so forgive my 
uh, reading there. Uh, so the, I'm going to just pick five things out of here. Uh, first of all, how can we glorify God? Unity uh, within the community of believers. Uh, believing in us, in other words, believe, having a right relationship with, with God. Uh, receiving the glory that's been given to Christ. So we're talking about future glory or receiving that glory is a way that God is glorified. Uh, and then uh, seeing the glory of Christ, recognizing and believing in Christ's glory. That's again another evidence of the Holy Spirit is, the, is your recognition and belief in Christ. And having the love of Christ that is in you. Now, if you're looking for a how-to list, this is going to be really difficult because these things have already happened and are happening in your hearts right now. Uh, there's a very passive nature of this. So how can you glorify God? Well, you're an instrument of His glory. He's, he's showing His glory through, uh, through what He's done in your hearts by connecting you back uh, to Him and in right relationship with righteous, uh, perfect status as, as His children. And so there's a passive element in that uh, this is something that's happening to you, but then there's an active element in that you're not you didn't start it, but your your it results in your own actions and your your obedience to God, your belief, which is a believing in something. God calls you to believe. That's an act of obedience. You didn't get there on your own. That was given to you by God. Uh, obeying His law, doing what He commands. Uh, there's a children's version of this catechism uh, that I teach my daughter. Uh, you know, and I'll teach all my daughters. Just one of them's old enough. Uh, I'm picking favorites. Um, <coughs> Uh, and I asked the question is, how can you glorify God? And she knows this. She doesn't understand it yet, but she'll, she'll get there uh, by loving him and doing what he commands. And that's something that, uh, that has been gifted to you by God, that desire. And it's something that uh, results in, in your, your actions, even though it didn't originate. From you. It, it, it ends with you loving him, believing him, and obeying him. And so really, to, with this last point, how do we enjoy God? The chief end of man is to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, you know, American um, uh, get things done attitude wants to say, okay, well, where's the, the to-do list? How do I do this? Uh, and uh, it's, it might be disappointing that a lot of this is done, uh, which should take a load off of your shoulders. Uh, and that by, because of what Christ has done, in showing His glory by redeeming you and giving you new hearts that choose to obey Him and to love Him and believe Him, uh, that results in your active obedience and it also results in your active joy. Uh, and that's that's how you came to enjoy God. And your progression in this, as you live your lives and as you uh, and as you look forward to heaven and as you enter heaven and as you look forward to the bodily resurrection. And experience the bodily resurrection. Uh, this is going to be your prayer, and it's we, an example. There's many examples of this in the Psalms, but if you look at Psalm 73, verse 24 through 28. Um, you have you hear this prayer. You have uh, you guide me with your counsel, and after you, uh, you will receive to me glory. Uh, whom I have, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, but you, 
put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your works. And that's, don't think of this as how to enjoy God. Think of this as a perk of your salvation, is that you do get to enjoy God, even though you can't see God. You can't see Him. What a gift that is. You believe in something you can't see. I remember as a as an in, as a younger immature Christian with not strong Christian influences, feeling a very big guilt on my very uh, big uh, weight on my shoulders, is not feeling like I, my faith is big enough or that my belief is strong enough, or wondering, I know I'm supposed to walk in the ways of Christ and I know I'm supposed to believe, but I don't know how to summon that from inside of myself. Well, the gospel here in question one is that this is, this is a way to identify your Christian existence, which is to glorify God and, and enjoy it forever.